The coordinating duo of Robert and I and Tony Gibson, are they the best that NC State has ever had? You are Locked On Wolfpack, your daily podcast on the NC State Wolfpack, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Wolfpack Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Locked on Wolfpack, free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday to all. As always, I'm Grayson Boone. Joining me is Kenton Gibbs. We have another fun fan Friday scheduled for you all. Uh, we're two less than now, less than two weeks away from kickoff up at UConn. The excitement is building, and a lot of a lot of this excitement is building because Robert and I and Tony Gibson are going to coach the same team at the same time, and it's the NC State Wolfpack. Kenton, our question today, is this the best pair of coordinators that we've ever had at NC State at the same time? You know, rest in peace to Leslie Jordan, but ooh, I'm about to burst. This is this, these two are such an exciting duo as a a defensive and offensive coordinator. I don't see how you cannot be geeked up and excited about the prospects of this team when you have a a coordinating duo that I don't think is is just one of the better ones in NC State history. I think that you'd have to look really hard, really hard around the nation to find two that you would say they have produced at as high of a level for as long in the different variety of ways, by the way, because yes, Tony Gibson, three, three, five all day. He's known for the madness. He's known for the chaos. He's known for bringing the type of dogs that just, you know, uh, most defensive coordinators don't have the, the gumption to bring, but Robert and I, everybody knows him and thinks air raid when you first think about him. But remember at Syracuse, they were one of the leading rushing teams in the conference they were okay with saying, hey, Schrader's down. We've got to run the ball right now. And even when Schrader was healthy, they utilized him in the run game as well as, you know, turning Sean Tucker into the beast that he was uh, for his time there. So I'm looking at these two, and again, it's excitement. It's overwhelmed, overjoyed, just mm, just the, the type of excitement I get for thinking about what these two can be together with some of these special recruiting classes we got coming in, with some of the special talent we already have on the roster – with some of the ways that that you know uh Joker Phillips and, and Coach Doran and company have been cooking in the portal. Oh man, I'm I you know, I, I'm sold. I'm sold. Yeah, I mean it's it's difficult not to put the cart ahead of the horse here because of course the two have not coached one single regular season game here at NC State together yet. But you know, Kenton, we did a sweep of I mean, virtually over 20 years going back yeah. into all the coordinators that have been here at NC State. There's been quite a lot of interesting names that we're going to run through, but some amazing ones. Some a amazing lot of these names were not on the same team, not at the same time. It was usually like one name on offense that went on to have a pretty successful career in the NFL, you could say. And then maybe defense, it was just lacking at that point in time. But then you have a defensive coach, so on and so forth. 
But with Tony Gibson and Robert and I here, I mean, yes, with, with Tony Gibson last year in 2022, we had undeniably one of the top defenses in the country. We were one of the, the highest uh, turnover rate teams. We, you know, Aiden White was one of the top corners in the league. We had one of the Absolutely. best linebacking cores in the league. Dealt with a little bit of injury up front with the defensive line, but looking to correct that more so this year. The I, what was that stat? We were like, what? We're the only team to hold every single opponent under thirty points. I believe. Every single opponent. Yep, it was just us. Undeniable in, in elite defense last year. We're looking to carry that torch this year in twenty twenty three. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of buzz that we've been discussing on here with the healthy defensive line coming back, the replenishment of linebackers that are raring to go and proving themselves. And of course, maybe the deepest secondary we've had ever, or if not in a very long time, you flip it to the offensive side. Yeah. You know, mirroring everything you said, Kenton, about Robert and I, the, what he was able to accomplish with last year at Syracuse and then his time in uh, Virginia before that, the the level of production he was putting out with, listen, respectfully, probably subpar programs, it's astounding. And now you're you're inserting Robert and I into what feels like a playground of talent now with yeah. the, the wide receiver depth that we mentioned a little bit uh, a couple days ago. We're going to talk a little bit about more of that. Uh, later today but the the quarterback of course he brought with him here from UVA and Brennan Armstrong looking forward to get getting him rolling this year I I think it's an extremely clear argument that this is the best coordinating duo we've ever had here at the same time and so getting into some of these names here we've had before I guess the last significant set of coordinators we've had uh, were probably Eli Drinkwitz on the offensive side and Dave Huxtable on the defensive side, they were both here. I mean, Hux was here for like six or seven years, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Hux was um, my defensive coordinator. Oh, Dave Huxtable. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, uh, Eli Drinkwitz was here for a bit before moving on to app and then out to Missouri. Um, so I don't know. I mean, drink, he, I, I feel like he kind of made NC state football fun again, at least the offensive portion. Yeah. You had all the names like Ryan Finley, Jalen Samuels, Naheem Hines, the list goes on. Huxwell, of course, he had some big names too, mainly on the defensive line, but it just felt like there wasn't enough consistency at times, and that kind of held us back uh, at some portions. But, you know, looking back over some of these other names, we've had Matt Canada, an offense. He's now the, the Steelers' current offensive coordinator. Kenton, you mentioned that might have been failing forward <laughs> a little bit, but... Some of hey, these listen. names as well, like Dana Bible, Mark Tressman, Reggie Herring, yeah. all significant experience, both at the college and the NFL level. But just, I don't know, it just never quite worked out uh, to max potential here at NC State. So, uh, I mean, certainly big names, certainly notable names, but haven't haven't really gotten that level of production we had maybe have wanted here at NC State. Oh, you forgot the flying Hawaiian Norm Child. North that was, that's right. That's right. I, I, that's one of the best offensive coordinators in NC State history. I, I want to say in all of college football history because he was flinging that rock around the yard. Okay, Philip Rivers uh, deserves a lot, or he deserved a lot of the credit for what Philip Rivers went on to become. Not to say that Philip Rivers wasn't a good player in his own right and developed um, naturally because of you know who he is. And granted, 
It was only one year. However, imagine your entrance into college football being a an offensive mind that is telling you, hey, this is what this needs to look like. These are the reads you need to make and all that. But not only those things, but teaching it to you on a deeper level, teaching you what it looks like and how your eyes influence the defense and how different things sway and move in real time. You no, know, Norm Charles coached plenty of successful quarterbacks and plenty of amazing offenses. And um, just for reference, right, I know some people are thinking, he was only here for one year. Where did he go after that? USC. If you don't understand, let me rephrase that for you. He went to USC in the early 2000s. You might have heard of Matt Leinart. You might have heard of Reggie Bush. You know, Dwayne Jarrett. You know, Steve Smith, not the, the Steve Smith you're thinking about, not the short with the other Steve. No, long story short, Norm Chow has coached some great offenses and all that good stuff. And so, you know, there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's a bona fide legend. Wish he would have stayed at NC State longer, but we understand he's a West Coast guy. He was born out there. He played out there. And, and actually, when he got the opportunity to coach a couple Heisman winners out there, even though they weren't Heisman winners yet, it made sense. And, you know, a lot of folks might be wondering, well, who was the offensive coordinator when we had Philip Rivers here? Okay. He goes by the name of Marty Galbraith, who may or may not be currently selling Harley Davidson's, but it's just maybe this is a good trivia question. Uh, some of you will know this. Uh, maybe the older demographic may know this. Kenton, do you know who the defensive coordinator was in 2002 when Marty Galbraith was the offensive coordinator? Oh, uh, a little bit of a it? trick question. Was it Chuck Amato? It was Chuck Amato. Double duty. He was both the head coach and the defensive coordinator. Good old Chuck the chest was calling it, <laughs> calling it in on the defensive end as well. So, I mean, as, as memorable and uh, maybe infamous as Chuck Amato was here at NC state, more or less, they gave us probably our, well, not probably it was our best season in school history in 2002, but wrapping all this up here, you're looking at a Tony Gibson who's proven to have an elite defense. You're looking at a Robert and I who's proven to run some of the top offenses in the country. We got them here at the same time with a whole lot of weapons ready to prove themselves. No less. This could very well be the top coordinating duo we have ever had here. And not just a whole lot of weapons, a whole lot of depth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. A whole lot of depth. If anything happens, I want you to think about this last year, right? We go into the season with the ACC preseason player of the year, but our our quarterback two situation was a complete disaster. Complete disaster. With all due respect, Jack Chambers was not it. He just was not it in terms of throwing the ball. We appreciate you for what you did with your legs and getting us the win against Florida State. Wasn't it? And so then you're stuck with an MJ Morris who got to camp. MJ Morris didn't get to campus in January. He got here uh, when camp started and Ben Finley. And now those were your options. Jack Chamber, who couldn't hit the side of a super Walmart from the parking lot. Um, ben Finley, who, I mean, hey, more power to you, brother. We know your limitations. You were good at what you did. We know your limitations. And the MJ Morris, who hadn't been on campus for a full handful of months yet. I mean, we we got some good things rolling at this point in time in the receiver room. That's it's bustling with talent at this point. It's we're 
a, a perceived weakness and question mark of this team is now being looked at as a strength coming out of camp potentially. What a time to be alive. We certainly have some comments on the receiving room here in just a little bit. But first, a word from our sponsors today. That is eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure that every part you need fits right the first time around every single time. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know if the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. All right. We're going to kick it to our second edition of Fan Friday. Uh, Something we started doing... Last week, we enjoyed it a lot, so we're going to continue to do this uh, as we approach football season. So this is another reminder. Be sure to jump down in that comment section. Leave us some questions. Leave us some notes, and you too could be featured on a Fan Friday. Our first one here, let me pull this up. This comes from actually a Florida State fan. Wouldn't you know it? Uh, Super War Jam says, as an FSU fan, I will miss having NC State in the conference if slash when it comes to that, like you guys and your fans. I believe my my response here was actually, you know, I've never really had that much of a problem with FSU fans either until recently. Now you're on my nerves. <laughs> now, now you're on my radar because some of y'all, some of y'all are just doing way too much. You kind of I, talking so condescendingly to every other fan base saying that we just, we don't get it that we don't get the level of understanding that Florida state fans have. I think we, we all have a pretty good understanding of the situation at hand here. No, no, we don't. They're backpacking the rest of us. They're backpacking the rest of us in a way they are Justin Herbert and we are the LA chargers. You understand? Like without the, we would crumble. We would cease to exist. We would fall, cry, throw up, scream, shout. We wouldn't exist without Florida state. The apparently not. The Seminoles were apparently one of the original teams in the ACC, and uh, they have, you know, been just not not the, a pillar. They've been every load-bearing wall in the house all at once by themselves. So, you know, uh, it's 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 a shame that we're not properly um, uh, bending the knee, kissing the ring and the throne as they need. I I, I am so sorry to all of the Seminole fans for that. I, I deeply apologize from the deepest pits of my diaphragm. This next one comes from at the other one there. They say Condoleezza Rice for one reason or another seems to have a lot of heft within the football space. After all, she was on the CFP selection committee a few years back and was even connected with the Browns head coach job a while back. Bush, uh, I guess academic presidents and chancellors just like to rub shoulders with prestige folks. Yeah, this is interesting because Condoleezza Rice, she was on, I believe, the first three years of the college football selection committee, and she's now just reappeared in our in our football world here, trying to lobby for Stanford to get into the ACC. Uh, I mean, I said it said it yesterday. Respectfully, I I don't care. Just go somewhere else. We the I, ACC has decided that we don't want them here. Yeah, just leave yeah. it there. Yeah, and I'm right there with the other one. Where does this pool come from for her in college football? Don't get me wrong. I'm sure 
She has watched college, a lot of college football. I'm sure she's an avid fan. To me, with all due respect, these that space should be reserved for former players, coaches, media, people who have interacted day-to-day, one-to-one. Like, this has been a, a, an integral part of your life that, like, if we were to look up your Wikipedia page, it wouldn't make sense to exclude it type of deal. Like, it, it's nice that you're a, a really good fan. It's nice that you probably care a lot, that you probably follow along a lot. I just don't, and maybe I'm missing it. Maybe there, and I will full, wholeheartedly own, you know, we made some mistakes yesterday and in not including TCU and in, in their playoff appearance in that We're not infallible on this show. But if anybody knows the connection that Condoleezza Rice has to football that goes deeper than fandom, I would love to know it. Yeah. P- please let us know because we are scratching our heads here otherwise. Next question comes from JL Pack. 62. Uh, this is actually a really good question. With the portal, how do we really attribute or attribute recruiting rankings to production three to four years out? I think that the value of a recruiting class ranking is in generating interest from the portal and from future recruits, but the but the road to on-the-field production isn't as direct as it used to be. And that's true. This yeah. is a, a kind of a side effect of this new transfer portal world in that yeah, it's not everything is now revolving around recruiting. I think it's going to be an interesting point for NC State likely entering the 2024 season because I think you're going to have a lot of pieces to try and replace entering that. I mean, of course, Peyton Wilson's going to be moving on. Maybe you have some questions at O-line. You could see some D-line guys move on. You're going to have probably some some transfers out of the wide receiver room have to maybe replace a couple there's going to be areas of concern nonetheless you're probably even going to want to pick up an experienced quarterback to be behind mj when it's all said and done but it's yeah it's it's an interesting question because you have to find a way to balance i'd actually love to hear dave dorn answer this question because that would be fascinating answer but you got to have some kind of balance here between still chasing the high the high caliber guys especially within the state you look at like a Paler and an Anderson while also keeping an eye on the portal and the, the immediate needs that you can get out of there. Yeah. I, I'd say in terms of attributing recruiting rankings to production at three to four years out, I'd, I'd very simply say this, even if those players transfer, that's still part of your class per se. Right. So when CJ Hart was up there at Illinois balling out until he got hurt, like that's still part of like, Yes, it's not production for NC State, but that's a clear moment of like, oh, he got better or he did good things while he was there. But even still, I mean, you are right, JL Pack. It's not a direct correlation anymore, as direct as it used to be. Things are different now. And I feel like a part of the recruiting class is also the portal class these days. Like, that's just the reality. A part of, for example, if we're looking at uh, the freshmen that came in for NC State basketball this year, in that recruiting class, you have to include an MJ Rice. You have to include a Cam Woods. You have to include all of the guys that came. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, the guard from Butler. Uh, um, Jaden Taylor. Jaden Taylor. You have to include guys like that because, I mean, yes, the future recruits and what they should do is important, but also what the guys in the portal are going to do is also very important. So I think that it's a balance of, like, the guys who left as well as the guys you're bringing in what does that look like? Yeah, especially the point on uh, the basketball team there, just real fast. 
in the rare instance that you do only have one recruit coming in like this year in, in uh, Dennis Parker. Yeah. I mean, I think you, that the whole transfers there's seven of them coming in and then you have one freshman to me, that's just one class. It has to yeah. be. Yeah. So for sure. I don't know. Interesting point there. Again, I would love to be able to ask that to coach Dorn sometime and see what he has to say about that. This next one comes from Lynn Williams. Uh, of course, we, we always appreciate the comments from Lynn. Very kind. We appreciate you so much. Uh, the question here, though, it says, what would you guys, uh, what was your take be on the special teams, specifically the kicking game? This yeah. is interesting because special teams not exactly getting a whole lot of attention. Uh, of course, it never really does. The main focus is always going to be on offense and defense. But there's a very interesting conversation here, and I've even said it on here before. But for NC State fans, I sure hope you appreciated what you had in Chris Dunn because – not only was he, I mean, maybe even undeniably the best kicker in school history, one of the better seasons in NCAA history last year. Like, maybe one of the top kickers in the college game ever, which is wild to think about. But with that being said, I do feel comfortable. I know Coach Dorn has not announced who the starting kicker will be, but I believe it's probably going to be Braden Narvison, the transfer from Western Kentucky. And about as comfortable as I can be is what I feel there. He he was a former Lou Groza Award semifinalist at Western Kentucky. That is no small feat. So while, yes, it, it is going to be difficult to replace one of the best kicking seasons of all time, I feel okay. I feel okay to pretty good about the kicking game. The punting game especially, no worries there. Nooncaster is a stud. And, of course, punt return and kickoff return – Coach Goble is a rock star. Does not get nearly as much praise as he probably should uh, for running the special teams unit because those guys, the, the uh, I believe it was what twenty twenty we 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 averaged like a, a block punt a week. It felt like for a couple weeks there, the special teams unit for NC State has always been elite, and they don't yeah. get the praise that they probably should. And Lynn, let me let you in on a little secret. Um, a kicking game in camp is the equivalent to offensive lines on, on game day. No news is good news. When you are not hearing about there being problems, that's a good sign, generally. Generally speaking, you rarely ever hear about a team that is like having a very hotly debated uh, kicking battle or, or like talking a head coach that's spending intensely spending a lot of time talking about their kicking game that it's not problematic in terms of talking to the media um, out of camp. So no news is good news on the kicking front, generally, from what I've seen in my time playing and covering the game. Absolutely. And then last question here. This one comes from Bob Funk. Kind of paraphrasing, he says he's not worried at all about the wide receivers, but he is potentially worried about the O-line depth. Mm -hmm. um, he said kind of the, uh, the run game last year was pretty insignificant. I do agree with that. Um, so he's looking forward to see if, Anai and 2J can help turn this around, and I think they will. And I think you'll see a difference beginning as early as this year. Of course, keeping the O-line healthy is going to be extremely important. Of course, um, there is a little bit of speculation on Lyndon Cooper sustaining some type of injury. We don't know what, and we don't know how significant, but that is something to keep our eye on. Um, so O-line health is going to be extremely important. But as far as like scheming the run game, it's going to be entirely different. And I think it's going to be 
highly more, at least more effective than what we've been getting, uh, especially. But the the amount of creativity out of Coach and I, and with 2J already knowing the system from being at UVA with him, I think you're going to see a run game tape, take a pretty good leap here in 2023. I'm going to say this, Bob, you have very legitimate concerns. You have very legitimate concerns. Uh, we saw last year what the offensive line looked like when um, when Dylan McMahon was forced to go to center after Grant Gibson went down. We could be looking at a very similar situation. That's just the reality. I'm Anybody who knows me knows I'm not going to scratch my head unless it itches, and I'm not going to dance unless I hear music. I'm not going to lie to you about the Wolfpack and say, hey, we're going 13-0 every year, national champs, here we go. The O-line depth is a very, very real concern. Uh, there's there's no no two ways about it. And in terms of having questions about our inside guys moving the line of scrimmage and the ability to run the ball, I mean, traditionally, it is very surprising that a team with our personality has not been able to do so. Um, however, I feel like it was I, – I think that it's a little bit of revisionist history to kind of overstate the struggles in the backfield from two years ago because if we remember correctly – Ricky Persons and Bam Knight had that thing booming back there. You know, there were some games where it looked like those two were just – you just the run set the table for Devin Lear to do some of the things he did. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we had a prolific running game by any – there were times where the running game did struggle, absolutely. But I, I won't say it was not a dominant run game, but it was a run game that was sufficient, shall I say. And with that being said, um, you know, you're Bob, you're not lying. You have concerns that I share. I share those concerns. I'm right there with you. Um, with all due respect, Bam and Ricky ain't walking through that door. Uh, so, you know, we, Jordan Houston, always one second, one inch, one hair away. Brother, we need you to make that inch up this year. Michael Allen, we love you. You are extremely explosive. The, 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 ability to have that balance when you're hitting the hole that contact balance is a thing that uh sean alexander had a ton of if you remember him it's it's great to see but we need you to stay healthy big fella the freshmen who are coming along uh michael crowell we need you to stay healthy um uh demarcus jones we need you know we we need all of these guys to perform at their highest clip but you're very the offensive line concerns are not something that you're on your own with. that's not something that you're making up we're not going to gaslight you and tell you there is no problems with NC State. That's one of them. But we hope that everything works out for the health and all that. And uh, with some of these, some of the offensive line recruits that we've been picking up lately, maybe we delve into the portal and get a little deeper in that bag next year. But it, as of now, I would agree that that's a concern. Yeah, it, I think it is a valid concern here in 2023. Um, it's it's just going to have to be something we're keeping our eye on. But moving forward, 2024 on, I think you're going to get increasingly more comfortable uh, as that plays out there. We're going to land this plane in just one second after a quick word from our sponsors. All right. Last little thing here on a Friday. Saw a fun tweet from David Hill of ESPN. He wants us to list four players. One is a breakout player who was a starter last year, but going to be a star this year. A sleeper who was not a starter last year, but a key guy this year. A deep sleeper, who's a guy, or a guy that no one's talking about that will have real value, and then the biggest impact freshman. I've already tweeted mine out, so I'll just buzz through mine real quick. My breakout player for this year is Davin Van. I think he's going to be a beast 
this year on the defensive line. Oh, really good. Sleeper is Porter Rooks, of course. If you've been listening to us, that's no surprise to hear that from me. I think Porter Rooks will seize the opportunity and take a big step forward this year in this offense. My deep sleeper is Poogie Kennedy, who is likely to be the the starter at nickel this year. He's a transfer from ODU. I've heard Tanner Ingle-like things out of him, so I think he can carry the torch there. And my impact freshman is KC, Kevin Concepcion. I think he's going to have a big year for a freshman, at least from what I've been hearing. Oh, real original. We're going with Davin Van. You know, me and you, we're we going to have to have a talk after the show because I've been ranting and raving about Davin Van all year and all offseason and how how much, how underrated he was. And, and now everybody's on the Davin Van train with me. Well, you know what? The Davin Van hype train has some room. The bandwagon has some room. Get on them. People all over the world, join hands. Get on the love train. Get on the Davin Van train. We rolling. But uh, with that being said, my guys, I mean, you know, I've, in terms of the uh, the breakout player, I don't know if you can consider this a breakout guy because of how long he's been playing, but I I really and truly believe that CJ Clark is going to do something special this year okay. because of because of how well the guys around him are going to play. I think the Savion Jackson and uh, Davin Van are going to make it really really tough for offensive line as well as the linebacker going to make it really tough to just kind of double and triple team uh, big CJ in the middle all the uh, time there. And then you said the sleeper was somebody who started last year, started or? last year, but will be a star this year. Okay. Um, you know, I got to go with Timmons. I got to go with Timmons. Okay. I, I, he, he looked really good at points of time last year. And I don't think that that's going to slow down this year with a, a, a more developed passing game underneath. And we all know how that, how that relationship works out, right? Uh, a good passing game underneath has a similar effect to a good running game in that it draws people closer to the line of scrimmage, right? You're not going to keep running cover three or cover four if you're getting eaten up underneath. Why? Because if if short routes are what's killing you and you're running cover four all game, congratulations, brother. You're, you're pretty much giving up um, everything in front of five or so yards and saying, hey, if you can make it happen, you can make it happen. With that being said, what happens when you draw folks up to the line of scrimmage? Oh, no, they're only going cover two now. What does cover two leave? Some holes deep. It leaves that space for the shots down on the sideline. It leaves those uh, the, the space for shots up the seam. And I'm going to tell you this. He ended last season incredibly. He looks bigger, stronger, hadn't lost any speed. I'm expecting a, a big year out of him. Deep sleeper, another wide receiver, Julian Gray, a guy that everybody – had talked about going into last year a lot. We have not heard as much coming out this year, but everybody that I've talked to, listen, I don't want to give away too much, but I've heard that Anai is in the kitchen with the apron on, with the chef hat on, with the with the big ladle. He's rolling. He's He's got something cooking in there that we're going to want to see in terms of what Julian Gray does this year. Um, and my my breakout freshman, I mean, it's hard to go against KC. It really yeah. is. It's hard to go against. It's hard to, you know, it, there are lots of guys who, who you know, you would hope uh, can do good things in their true freshman year. But from what I'm hearing out of that wide receiver room with KC, he could, again, the wide receiver core has turned into a strength virtually overnight. And and so that is that is why I have named two receivers on this list for me. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I heard some additional things about the wide receiver room 
we're going to save that more of that discussion for next week. Hopefully hearing some more things uh, following the scrimmage on Thursday and then throughout the weekend, but that'll be some interesting discussion uh, for next week, but that's going to do it for us here on this Friday. As always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in, hitting that like button, dropping those comments and always subscribing to us as well. We greatly appreciate all the support, all the comments, all the interactions. We're thankful for all of it. We appreciate you all so much. Go Pack. Go Pack.